the reading is um, from Song of Songs, um, chapter one. Um, it can be found on page 680 of the Blue Church Bibles. And do get your Bibles open so you know who's saying what, at which part there's a few different people speaking, so it's helpful so you know who's saying what. Song of Songs, chapter one, verse one. Solomon's Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold, studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you very much, Nathan and Lisa, for reading that for us. I think we chose the right couple to read that. Read very well. Let's uh, pray before we look at this uh, together, shall we? Father God, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Thank you that every part of it is inspired by you. And we thank you that you have done that because you want to have a relationship with us. And so we do pray this morning, as we read this together, that you would, um, for the first time, for, maybe, for some maybe here, enable us to have that relationship, to enjoy that relationship. And for those who already 
enjoy it, that we would go deeper in it, that we would love you more, and that we'd appreciate your love for us more. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, a group of about 100 of us went off to uh, Cleebury Mortar for the weekend and came back very excited and uh, energized by the time that we had enjoyed together. And I think you heard some of the reports uh, from that last Sunday. Last weekend, a group of uh, six of us went to Romania uh, to visit our, our partner church there. And again, we came back uplifted by the experience. What always moves you and uh, humbles you when you visit the church in Romania is their, their warm hospitality, great generosity of those who have very little materially. Uh, but seeing the joy they have in the Lord and the, the, the joy they have for, for one another. A couple of pictures coming up here of people we met. This is uh, Callan on the right-hand side there. Um, lives on his own. Elderly man, has various uh, health issues. Um, but he was overjoyed to see us, uh, invited us in just to sit in his garden. The uh, so first thing he did was just pray. Um, not sure what he prayed. It was in Romanian, but um, sounded quite good. Um, and he just wanted to talk about God. Um, it's just a natural thing to do. This here is uh, Julian's aunt. Um, for those who are in the, the 2013 trip, I think it was, this is uh, the donut lady. Um, as you can see from the front of that photo, for obvious reasons, baked great donuts. Um, we um, puffed and panted to get to the top of the, uh, the apartment block where she lives on the fourth floor. Um, we found out, actually, as we were talking to her, that she worked for, for many years um, in a hospital and uh, has basically got serious back pains now from having to lift patients and things, and uh, is pretty much confined to her apartment because it's too painful to get down and up four flights of stairs. But again, overjoyed to see us, been uh, uh, working hard all day to, to make a meal for us. And on the bottom there, that's um, uh, Mari, Julian's sister, who studied for many years uh, medicine, as now qualified doctor, could earn um, a good living in Bucharest or somewhere but has a real heart for people, so has come back to her hometown and, uh, and uh, serves those who can't afford medical care, basically. And that's her with her niece, um, whose, whose father's no longer around. Um, again, somebody who just has a real love for the Lord and love for being with people. These are people who enjoy their relationship with God and enjoy their relationship with other people. And the greatest joy that, that every one of us can have is in relationships. Consequently, the greatest pain we can have is when relationships are broken. If you, um, if you watch TV, if you open the newspaper, if you go on the internet, it's all about relationships. Why are people addicted to, to TV soaps or uh, reality TV? It's, it's plain to a natural fascination people have with the lives of others. We want to see how they cope with difficult situations, um, see the stress they're in, maybe to see whether we would cope in that same way or if we have had that situation, um, maybe it's um, encouraging to see people struggling the same way we've struggled. We're interested in other people's lives. Even news reports that are supposedly more serious, like uh, Brexit negotiations, focus on relationships. Here we have um, Theresa May and uh, Jean-Claude Jean Juncker. Um, are they still friends after they've met together? Um, maybe not. Um, big political story in the US this week. What was it? Another relationship. Here they are. Um, Trump and Comey being welcomed in. 
but now no longer friends. The reason we're so fixated with these stories is because we were made for relationships. God wants us to enjoy our relationships. He wants us to have a deep friendship with himself and with others. And it's this theme of relationships that comes through the book of Song of Songs, which you're going to be studying over the next few weeks. It's a difficult book to read, um, let alone to preach from. Um, and there are a number of features that make it stand out from other books. So let's have a brief um, look at some of those now. First of all, it's a poem. Not the only poem in the Bible, of course, but it's described as the song of songs, the ultimate song. Um, so as with any poem, you read it in a different way from other types of writing. Poetry moves us. It stirs us, those God-given emotions that we have, in a different way from just straight narrative. In the same way, when you go to a concert, you don't just hear a collection of different musical notes. You feel the music. Or when you listen to a sermon, hopefully you'll listen to it in a different way than from a lecture. It's not just informing, giving information. It's meant to stir our souls by the Spirit working through the preacher. With Song of Songs, it's actually difficult to see whether there's a, a sequence or a storyline here, or whether it's just a random collection of poems. I think I would probably agree with the commentators, though, who suggest there is a discernible sequence in the poem that is meant to, to hang together. Uh, there are different views on who the main characters are, how the story develops, but um, they generally break it down into to five or six sections, uh, like this one here proposed by, by Tom Gledhill. So we have the passionate longings that we've read about um, this morning and we'll look at in a minute. Uh, springtime and showers comes, comes next. The lover's royal wedding. Then there's the breakdown of the relationship, the lost and the found. Beauty, which kindles desire. And finally, the security of love. But the fact that we're not sure exactly what is the sequence and who the characters are makes us think that actually probably the themes are more important than the plot. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Secondly, it's erotic. It uses poetic language to describe a sexual relationship between a man and a woman, which makes some people think, well, actually, that's all it is there for, a celebration of the gift of sex. But, of course, sex is not just about a physical act. It's about a relationship that is both physical and emotional. Thirdly, it doesn't mention God which is a bit strange um, when we are told that the reason why God gave us his word was to reveal himself to us so we can have a relationship with him. So if that is the case, what does Song of Songs teach us about the relationship with God? Now, some would say because God is in everything, God is implicitly present in Song of Songs as the creator of all the things that are used to describe beauty. Others would say it was actually it's all about God. It's not about sex at all. The love story is really a metaphor for the relationship between God and his people, or Christ, and the church. And it's intended to inspire us by his passion for us. But the view I'm going to take here is that I don't think it's meant to be exclusively one or the other. I think it is, firstly, a celebration of the passionate love of a man and a woman. But we can't just read it at that level. That would be to see a relationship between a man and a woman separate from the one who made them both and the one who should be the center of their relationship. 
And also, as we consider the themes of love that come out from Song of Songs, we will see that these apply even more so to the love of God for us, which, unlike human love, is, is perfect. And so as we read of the intensity of love between two lovers here, we will be inspired by the perfect, intense love that God has for us. And fourthly, it is full of rich imagery. We've heard some of that already this morning. The metaphors and the similes used by the lovers to describe the, the other's beauty are full of this extravagant opulence and, uh, and lavishness. We read of strings of pearls, earrings of gold studded with silver, houses made from cedar wood, wine from the vineyards, banquet halls, Solomon's royal carriage upholstered with purple. Rich spices, ivory, marble, chrysolite. Whatever that is, but I think it sounds quite, quite expensive. It's important to know the context of this poem because it's described in the opening verse as Solomon's Song of Songs. Now, whether or not Solomon wrote it himself or it was written for him, it was written during his reign at a time of great prosperity for the, um, the country of Israel. In terms of how we preach Song of Songs, we could have done it sequentially. And I would encourage you all to just go home and read it through in one go. But uh, we're going to concentrate in this series on the different themes that, uh, that it covers, the different aspects of love that are described. And this morning we're spending a bit of time on the overall message of the book. But uh, the other themes we'll be looking at in the next couple of weeks are, are these. Firstly, love and passion. God is passionate for his people. We have been created with emotions which vary in intensity. But our sexual desires point to the only intimate union that will fully satisfy. That is the consummation of marriage between Christ and his church. Love and commitment. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. That's a refrain that comes up a couple of times. It describes an exclusivity of relationship with God. We live at a time when the freedom of the individual is considered to be almost the most important thing. That's what drove the, the sexual revolution, which started pretty much in the 60s. But over the years, that has failed to deliver. People deep down still desire faithfulness. They desire commitment. Love and anguish. Sometimes the depth of relationship can only be seen in the pain of separation. The desperation of being lost and the joy of being reunited. And we'll see how this reflects the breakdown and restoration of our relationship with God. And finally, love and self-giving. People want intimacy and think sometimes that can only be achieved in a sexual relationship. But if there is no self-giving in the relationship, then there won't be intimacy in the sexual act. Self-giving is what characterizes Christ's love for his people. It's what enables us to enjoy an intimate relationship with God. Four key themes. But the overarching message from the book, and what we're going to look at um, the rest of the time this morning, is that, the, that we were made for 
relationships. We were made for relationships. And above all, a relationship with God. It's what distinguishes us from all the other creatures that he made. We were made in the image of God, and God is relational. The three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit have always existed in joyful relationship with one another. Genesis 2 provides us with a picture of life as it was designed to be. Adam and Eve enjoying a perfect relationship with God, with each other, and with the world around them. Having made man, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Someone who will compliment him, someone with whom he can relate and enjoy that companionship. And there's this beautiful image described in human terms of, of God walking with them daily in the cool of the garden. Sadly, that, that intimacy that they enjoyed was broken when they decided to reject the authority of God over their lives. But God doesn't give up on us. He longs to restore people to a relationship with him and he knows that only he can do it. And so the rest of the Bible is the story of the restoration of that relationship. It's promised in the Old Testament, and it's fulfilled in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. The Bible is one big love story. We're told in that uh, familiar verse from John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We're told that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But let's have a look at the love story of Song of Songs. Let's start a look at this opening chapter, because it tells us a lot about human love, and it also tells us a lot about divine love. Incidentally, the, uh, the subtitles there, he and she, are not there in the original. They're based on the, the pronouns and the gender of the verbs used. They're just to help us as a reader understand when the person speaking changes. But when we read these verses, what we see is two people keen for a relationship with each other. The girl makes her intentions quite clear in verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Taste of wine can bring pleasure, but it's not to be compared with a kiss when it's an expression of love. And in verse 4, take me away with you, let us hurry, let the king bring me into his chambers. She wants to be alone with him. She wants him to be hers, to, to have an exclusive relationship with him. But we also see here an insecurity on her part as well, which characterizes human relationships today as it has done ever since the fall. She's self-conscious about the color of her skin, which stands out against the color of the other girls. Have a look at verse 5. She says, dark, like the tents of Kedah, like the tent curtains of Solomon. In other words, like the, the black goat's hair from which the tents and curtains are made. She stands out so much that she says to the other girls, do not stare at me because I am dark, in verse 6, because I'm darkened by the sun. It reminds us of the embarrassment that Adam and Eve feel towards one another after the fall. Before that, they were fully comfortable in each other's presence. 
But afterwards, they feel shame. They become aware of their, their nakedness. They're not able to be fully open with one another. They blame one another. Trust has been broken. For the girl here, there's a reason for her, her dark skin. She explains she was forced by her brothers to work hard under the rays of the sun, probably before the days of Ombre She worked hard in the vineyards, and as a result, she neglected her own metaphorical vineyard, her own body. But her beauty is more than skin deep. It's a beauty of character, of somebody who is willing to work. Dark am I, she says, yet lovely. A claim backed up by her friends who call her in verse 8, most beautiful of women, and encourage her to go and look for the man that she loves. In verse 9, we see that the girl's feelings are shared by the man. I liken you, my darling, to a mare, a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. You might not think that being called horsey is particularly flattering, but um, horses are beautiful animals, aren't they? Um, just to speak to Lyle and Anne, they'll tell you all about horses. Um, there's a grace, there's a nobility about them. But he continues to flatter. Look at these, these words here. Your cheeks, verse 10, are, are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. The idea of the jewelry here is not to, to make her beautiful, it's to bring out the hidden beauty in her. Christ is the, the rich bridegroom of heaven who will adorn his bride, the church, with jewels. But the jewels he uses are not physical jewels, they're the jewels of grace and truth. There is beauty in Christ's bride in the church because We've been made in the image of God. But Christ brings out that beauty. He's preparing us for marriage to himself. We return to the girl speaking in verse 12. And now the description is all about scent. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. We had that back in three as well, didn't we? Verse three, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. She carries on in verse 13. My, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. There are lots of things that make up a human being. We are complex creatures, aren't we? Our, our sense of smell is strongly tied to our emotions and our sexual desires. And uh, perfume or deodorant advertisers know that very well which is why we have all these ridiculous adverts where a man and a woman are magnetically attracted to one another as soon as they, they scent the, the smell of the perfume in the other one. Add in a little French accent and you, uh, you're away, aren't you? J'adore Dior. <laughs> but, uh... but here too in the passage, scent is a symbol of the strong attraction the man and the woman have for one another. And it's used, again, to reflect our relationship with Jesus. We're told that Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God's people are described as the aroma of Christ. 
weather compliments now are flowing backwards and forwards more quickly. And as we go into to chapter 2, we see a, a greater self-confidence on the part of the woman. I'm a rose of Sharon, I'm a lily of the valleys. It seems like knowing the king's love for her has given her a greater sense of self-esteem and confidence. It's true, isn't it? When we know that others love us, and I'm just talking here about physical attraction, when we know that others are concerned for us, it does change our own view of ourselves. As Christians, we are unconditionally loved by Jesus Christ. He considers us beautiful. And that gives us a sense of, of purpose. It gives us a sense of, uh, of security. And it particularly helps us if we're feeling unloved by the world, by all those around us. If we're feeling on the edge of things, maybe at school, maybe in the workplace, where people abuse us or ridicule us. <clears throat> on our church weekend away, the speaker, Alex Harris, described in his testimony a moment which was... Um, very significant for him in terms of coming to, to Christ. And it was the witness of a, a Christian friend of his. They were in the rugby club and uh, um, having, having quite a few beers. And his friend Paul just had one or two pints. And then there came a moment in the evening when they brought in all the strippers. And at that moment, his Christian friend just got up and said, actually, guys, I'm, I'm just going to go out of here for a little while. I'll come back to see you later on. Now, you imagine the, the abuse he would have got from a lot of drunken rugby players at that moment. Um, but what made him do it? How did he have the courage to take that stand, knowing that he would be abused and ridiculed, knowing that his friends may turn their backs on him? It's because he knew he was loved by Christ. However his friends responded, he would still be loved by Christ. And that is the greatest love that we can know. Well, the girl describes the man here as like an apple tree. In verse 3, of the, among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Think back where she's come from. The reason she's dark-skinned is because she's worked in the, the vineyards, fully exposed to the sun where there was no shelter. But her beloved offers her shade and food. He will protect her. And he'll provide for her. Exactly what God does for his people. What does a father do? He provides and he protects, both materially and spiritually. And in addition, like the delicious taste of a crunchy apple, he offers sweetness and enjoyment. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. As we come towards the end, the language is becoming more intimate. It's becoming more intense. Verse 4, let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left, hand is, his left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. But before we get carried away, the section here ends on a wise note. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. 
And we'll come back to, to emotions and passion next week, but this is a reminder, we're not just meant to follow our passions as though they are the ultimate rule in our lives. There is a need for self-control. There is a need for trust in God's direction and in his timing. But as we finish, the message I want you to take away this morning is that we were each made for relationships. And most importantly, for a relationship with God. The one who loved us before we loved him. God summarized his commands as, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the greatest way we can show our love for God and for one another is by showing that you enjoy being in their company. I hope as a Christian you, you delight in God. I hope if you are not yet a Christian that you'll come to see there is a great joy in God and experiencing his love. I hope if you are a Christian, you come to church because you delight in the company of others who delight in God. And so let's go from here trying by God's grace to express that delight in him and in each other in all that we think and say and do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have created us for relationship and above all for a relationship with you. We thank you that when that relationship was broken and that we are responsible for that, we thank you that you are willing to restore it. We thank you that you offer us forgiveness. And we thank you that you offer us a restored relationship through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that in our relationship with you, we find true joy and delight and meaning for our lives. And Lord, we thank you for the people that you've put into our lives, those with whom we can enjoy relationships. Lord, help us not to neglect those relationships. Help us to enjoy them and express our appreciation for one another. And as we do so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to grow as a church, as we grow in greater trust for one another, a greater desire to serve one another. For your glory's sake. Amen.